a raft of evidence which shows that if you have cleaner air in buildings, you get fewer employee sick days, food products will last longer, hospitals will not be spreading disease. And there's also a lot of evidence that children concentrate better in school. Now, if you're looking at trying to get the economy motoring in any country, you, you want all these things firing on all cylinders. You don't want people trapped in unhealthy air that, that drags them down. Hello there and welcome to Let's Talk Clean Air and our special mini-series on Campfield's new global network of Chief Ergonomics Officers. My name is Dusty Rhodes. Joining me today is environmental campaigner and advisor Simon Burkett, who moved from a career in finance to found Clean Air, a campaign to help the City of London comply with WHO guidelines for air quality. He is also acting as an advisor to Baroness Jenny Jones on her Clean Air Human Rights Bill, which topped the ballot of private members' bills in the House of Lords earlier this year in the UK. The bill would enshrine the human right to clean air precisely and explicitly in UK law, including indoor air. Simon also advises internationally on the topic of air pollution and as such is an absolute mine of information on the global situation. So let's get up to date on the latest attitudes to air pollution, including the new concept of a CAO, Chief Ergonomics Officer. Simon Burkett, you're welcome to the podcast. Let me start by asking you about air pollution. We've had it for such a long time, but in the last 10 years, it's really ramping up in importance and things are getting done. Why? Well, there's a much better understanding now that air pollution is the world's largest environmental health risk, killing an estimated 7 million people every year. And on top of that, we've got the climate emergency. And in the last two or three years, we've obviously found that COVID is airborne. And all these different things are accelerating um, the focus on this emergency where we have to clean up our air very quickly. And uh, it's an exciting time for an air pollution campaigner to be seeing the action that's starting to happen. Now, when you say it's killing 7 million people a year, that's quite a dramatic number. Is that COVID related or is it other issues? That was actually uh, the the pre-COVID number. So um, uh, air pollution... What we've found is that um, more people who are exposed to higher levels of air pollution catch COVID as well. But 7 million people a year is the number of people who are being killed every year before the COVID epidemic hit. And most of those deaths, there are plenty which are respiratory, but a large proportion of those deaths are actually cardiovascular, so heart attacks and strokes from long-term exposure to air pollution. And that's something which wasn't really understood more than 10 years ago. A lot of people, when they think of air pollution, we think of the sky and the great outdoors and chimneys spouting smoke into the atmosphere, but we don't think of indoor. Is indoor as important as well? Uh, Well, it is. Basically, anything that you get um, outside can also be found inside in terms of the air. I like to think of the air as one thing. I refer to one air. We need to think about the air holistically. Indoor, though, we can also get um, plenty of other sources of pollution. So we can get cooking, we can get um, household chemicals, and also, of course, um, emissions coming off furniture. 
uh, and a combination of these things indoors on top of the outdoor air that can come in if you know through open windows or doors can cause a real problem indoors and make indoor air worse than outdoors. And of course, it also tends to trap things like, um, guess what, the COVID virus, which floats around in the air. So there really is a need to clean up the air that we breathe in buildings. When we're talking about air pollutants, I'm sure there are billions of different varieties, but is there a way to kind of categorise that down into just two or three simple groups? I, I think there is, because what we're really talking about is local air pollutants and greenhouse gases. You know, if you're thinking about this one air concept, you've got these two main groups of, of pollution. Local air pollution really splits again into particles and gases. And the particles, so-called PM2.5, PM10, uh, PM1, and we're now hearing a lot more about ultrafine particles, which is PM0.1. But all those particles are regulated in a cloud for health or legal purposes. So particles of any source, so they can be from tire and brake wear, coal-fired power stations, wood burning, all sorts of things. And then what you also get in local air pollution is a cloud of local air pollution gases. And the one which has had a lot of attention, um, basically because of the, the problems with diesel vehicles, is nitrogen dioxide. So don't call it nitrous oxide. It's nitrogen dioxide. And that is one of the local air pollution gases. So I think it's important just to split things between local air pollutants, greenhouse gases, and then split local air pollution that little bit further between a cloud of particles and a cloud of gases of individual types. You mentioned a number of PM levels as a way of measuring the pollutants. Is there any such thing as a safe level? Uh, one of the things which um, has come out of the the incredibly detailed work done by the World Health Organization, uh, which produced new air quality guidelines in September last year, is that they really cannot still find, after all this research, any safe level of exposure to particles. And that's really worrying. So even when they go down to two or three or four micrograms per cubic meter for PM2.5, which are the particles up to two and a half microns in diameter, you know, they, they still find health effects. And what we uh, now know is that air pollution affects everyone at every stage of their life to some extent, and even every organ in your body to some extent. And this, this really is um, adding to the weight of evidence, which shows we really do need to tackle air pollution urgently. Now, is that being kind of like tackled urgently? I suppose when you come to a situation like this that is just so big, it really has to be done at a government level with legislation. Am I right? Uh, yes, the, the government are the ones, um, or the UN, that is the, the way that we have to set the basic rules to protect public health and, uh, importantly nowadays, of course, to, to try and um, mitigate and adapt to climate change. I'm very concerned, though, that a lot of the government guidance um, in the UK, but not just in the UK, is based on the World Health Organization's old air quality guidelines, which go back to 2006. And when the World Health Organization published its new guidelines last year, um, 2021, uh, it halved the, the guideline level for these particles that we've been talking about and slashed the guideline for nitrogen dioxide by 75%. So it has to be three quarters lower. 
And the government um, and the authorities have not updated their regulations for these lower levels. Uh, and that's a, even a year after it's happened. And if I could wave a wand, I would ask people to be following the new WHO air quality guidelines, not the very, very out of date guidelines from 2006. If somebody wants to find out about the WHO guidelines, the current ones, I mean, do you know where it can be found? Uh, yes, people can go to, to our website, cleanair.london, and there are lots of links there which um, take you to um, the World Health Organization site. So there's plenty there. Excellent. I'll include that in the show notes. So if you're listening on your podcast player right now, the link is there for you. We all know that when it comes to legislation, governments... It's not a fast moving thing, or it can be because we saw with the COVID situation. Oh, my goodness, did they move mountains? Are they moving mountains with these new WHO guidelines? Well, um, again, as we started um, uh, this discussion, I mean, there is a lot more attention on these issues. So the government must set under the Environment Bill in the UK going back last year uh, a target, uh, a, you know, a more ambitious target and deadline to achieve um, a level of, of particles. We have also got, um, uh, for example, the chief medical officer in the UK, I think, is going to be publishing a, a massive report shortly on what needs to be done to tackle air pollution. So there is a lot happening, but you know, governments are big things, but they can really be quite slow. And that's why I think it's, it's actually you know, the opportunity and what we're seeing is that responsible businesses – you know, have seen the new guidelines come out, so they're not waiting for you know the government to sort of you know you know tick a lot of boxes. They're basically just saying we know what the guidelines are, and so businesses are just getting on now, are the responsible ones, uh, and saying look, this is what we want. And of course, you know the general public is saying the same things. They're saying why should we wait for the government to catch up with us? So I think you know all of this is happening now, and it, and it's a symptom of you know this real urgency um, that that um, that we're seeing. So we have the WHO guidelines in 2006 and legislation was put in place and governments around the world and international organisations have put guidelines in place. With the new WHO guidelines from 2021, does that mean now that those things just need to be updated rather than going through the whole process of passing laws, etc.? Well, we've known for a long time that those World Health Organisation guidelines would be updated and the, the WHO has also said the WHO has also said you know, that they'll update these guidelines in 10 years' time. So we know really what the timetable is. And for example, the European Commission has spent years working in parallel to look at how air quality laws ought to be tightened. And they have been waiting for this WHO advice to feed into that process. So we're actually expecting in autumn 2022, the European Commission to be publishing its new proposals or its proposals for, we hope, much tighter um, legal limits for air pollution to reflect these new guidelines. So they were working on that in parallel. So um, uh, that's happening. And of course, you know, we have had some very exciting other things happening, but um, we can perhaps talk about that later. So it's good to know that the framework is in place and it is being updated. And as you say, a lot of large companies and companies who are thinking ahead and the public are all saying, no, we want to get these new guidelines in place as fast as possible. Why wait? Yeah. yeah. Uh, let me ask you about the money side of things, because I'm a great believer in follow the money. 
what are the financial benefits to corporations and companies for having clean indoor air? Well, you know, companies and and people who work in them, uh, you know, teachers and school children who sit in schools, um, basically there's there's a choice. Do you really want to trap uh, people in unhealthy air that drags them down? Do you really want to do that? Um, and there's a much better understanding that, that that is what you're doing if you don't clean up the air. Or do you instead want to create a, a safe haven where people can escape the air pollution outside? Now, I, I think there's only one answer to, to that. You know, we want to clean up the air inside. And it's not just, you know, there's a, a very powerful research report, which I would um, point um, your listeners to, which was a, a study done at Addenbrooke's um, by Andrew Conway. Um, and what he found, uh, for example, is that when air filters were turned on, they were using portable air filters. When they turned those air filters on, they did not detect COVID in the air. And when they turned them off, they did detect it in the air. Now, you know, that's the sort of evidence that, that we're seeing. But it's not just, that's just one example on, on COVID. You know, there's a raft of evidence now which shows that if you have cleaner air in buildings, of course, you have happier employees, which um, you know, is sort of the best possible start for any business. But you get fewer employees sick days. Food products, you know, will last longer. Hospitals will not be spreading disease around wards and so on. Uh, and there's also a lot of evidence that um, children concentrate better in school. So you actually get, you know, better educational outcomes. Now, if you're looking at a, trying to get the economy motoring in any country, you, you want all these things firing on all cylinders. You don't want people trapped in unhealthy air that, that drags them down. So I think this really is a big opportunity and we ought to just get on with it. Well, that's kind of what I was thinking, because there are a lot of things in this world and in this life which are nice to do. But when you see the actual value and savings you make from this investment with fewer sick days for your workforce or your kids learning quicker or your product lasting longer, all of these are actual financial benefits. So it's worth making the investment and the investment that you do put in will pay for itself tens or hundreds of times over. Uh, tell me about setting the rules locally, because you said that certain companies are thinking ahead and they're putting these new levels into operation immediately. Uh, Camphill, who, of course, are behind this podcast, have started an initiative as well where they're encouraging companies to have a chief ergonomics officer or a CAO. What do you think of this idea? Well, I'm very excited about this initiative. Um, yeah, Camphill has been the sole sponsor of Clean Air in London's campaign to build public understanding of indoor air quality since it was set up in 2011. And Clean Air in London wouldn't have been able to campaign to build that public understanding on indoor air without Camphill's support. So uh, I've known Camphill for a long time, 12 years, and I have kept seeing them leading the way. And this is another example of them doing something thoughtful, impactful, and, and I'm very excited about it. You know, the idea of having someone responsible for improving indoor air 
in the most sustainable way possible, so with the least energy, in the least disruptive way, you know, that is exactly what we want to be solving the sort of problems and getting the sort of benefits that we've just talked about. And of course, having someone accountable um, is the best way to get anything done, in my experience. And um, I've worked in finance and things and, and you know, set targets for people. It's a good way of getting things done. Uh, and in a quite nice way, I also see these chief ergonomics officers as sort of campaigners, you know, in their own right, clean air campaigners in their own building, um, who will really be working to help the business and the people in that building reduce energy use, deliver clean air, and achieve these benefits that we've identified. Bring us up to date on what's been happening with yourself with Clean Air London since we spoke last year. There's there's two things I want to ask you about. One is Jenny Jones, which we'll get to in a second. But first, the United Nations, they've established a right to clean, healthy, sustainable environment as a human right. What, what exactly are they up to? It, it really is a, a sort of wonderful time to be a clean air campaigner. Uh, we know the problems are, are, are big, but um, there are some big, um, big things happening. The World Health Organization, uh, as I mentioned, produced new guidelines a year ago. Um, it seems a long time ago, but it actually wasn't that long ago, really, I suppose. And in July this year, 28th of July, the, the UN General Assembly, so the top sort of um, um, uh, you know, UN body, uh, which has all the member states um, uh, sitting on it, that body adopted a resolution recognizing the human right to a clean, healthy and sustainable environment. And the vote was quite wonderful to, to watch. There were 161 countries voting in favour of that resolution. Um, there were none against and, and eight abstentions. It was really quite special. And that um, has called for a number of follow-up actions. So it has called for you know, this right, which is in the legislation of many countries, uh, to also um, uh, be followed up in further countries, but also for having policies to deliver on this human right uh, to you and me. So things are definitely moving in that area. Uh, tell me about locally in the United Kingdom. You've been working with Baroness Jenny Jones, who's appearing in the House of Lords. Am I correct? Uh, she is. She's, a, she's a, um, a green peer. She's trying to bring in clean air as a human right as well. What progress has she made so far? It's really uh, quite exciting for me again because, um, you know, I worked with, uh, well, I've known um, Jenny Jones. I work with all the political parties, but I have, to, I have a real rapport with, with Jenny Jones, Baroness Jones. I've known her for um, 16 or 17 years since I started campaigning on air pollution. And uh, I helped her uh, with Clean Air London's lawyers to draft a bill, 25 pages of sort of um, ready legislation, to uh, effectively as a new Clean Air Act, because this December will be the 70th anniversary of the Great Smog, but also um, next February will be the 10th anniversary of the death, um, you'll remember, of Ella Roberta Adu Kissy Deborah, the nine-year-old girl who um, uh, died of asthma uh, from air pollution in her local streets. So, we're really trying to encourage, let me put it um, that way, but uh, you can imagine a slightly stronger word than encourage, really trying to press the government to introducing a new Clean Air Act before the end of the year and before this 10th anniversary of Ella Roberta's death next year. 
and we drafted this legislation some time ago, uh, and Jenny has uh, submitted it in the uh, ballot of private members' bills in the House of Lords. And um, we were delightfully um, surprised when we found that it was top of the ballot of private members' bills in the House of Lords um, in May this year which means that it is the only topic of conversation in the main House of Lords chamber um, every sitting Friday, which is about one or two a month, uh, until they basically finish um, uh, approving it. So uh, we have, um, I think, a very good opportunity to put forward a great piece of legislation. It does enshrine precisely and explicitly in UK law the human right to clean air, as the UN General Assembly has just been calling for. And uh, what the bill does is it adopts a one-air approach. So it looks at the climate impacts, the local air pollution impacts, but also it would set standards for indoor air quality. And when the World Health Organization set its guidelines, new guidelines last year, they were very, very clear that their guidelines apply indoors and out, outside. So it's both. And what Jenny Jones's bill does is set standards to be achieved in indoor air. It, it doesn't sort of say you and I have to clean up our houses, although that would be obviously good, good advice to people. Uh, but what this really focuses on is the buildings where there are health and safety duties or where developers have built a new building to basically say that over the first year of that building's life, they need to be monitoring air quality and making sure that the systems work and that there are mechanical you know, air handling units or I guess st standalone air filters. Um, so this is very exciting. It then goes to the House of Commons and we need the government to pick it up at that stage, hopefully having passed all the stages in the Lords. Well, I wish you the very best of luck with it. And it's great to hear that you're having so much success in the United Kingdom. And I know that because of you and stories like yours are happening in Germany and Italy and across Europe and the United States. And as you say, globally and as a planet, we are definitely moving and picking up the pace with our movement on improvement as well as clean air. Simon Burkett, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast today. Do remember, if you would like to find out more about this subject, just go to www.chiefairgonomics.com officer.com where you can learn more and join the initiative as well. There's a LinkedIn group as well which you're welcome to join us on also. Links for both of these in the show notes which you'll find in the description area of this podcast on your podcast player. Do join us next time as we keep you up to date with the latest issues in our Let's Talk Clean Air podcast. To get it automatically just link the follow button on your player right now. Until next time from myself Dusty Rhodes thank you for listening take care. Take care.